Welcome to Coffee and Real Talk for Writers, where we get real about the writing life. Writing might be a solitary activity, but becoming a successful author is anything but. So grab a cuppa, pull up a chair, and let's talk. Hello, welcome to episode five of Coffee and Real Talk for Writers. I'm your host, Talina Winters, and I'm recording this on Thursday, January 27, 2022. So this week for me was a real mixed bag. Um, I had some pretty great highs and made a lot of progress in some areas, but I think I might be flirting with burnout again, which is, you know, actually it's just part of the recovery process from burnout. I feel like I've had like, like when you're, when you're recovering from burnout, it's kind of like two steps forward, one step back. And I feel like this week was just a one step back phase. Um, and interestingly, I know I've talked about Becca Syme a lot on this podcast so far. That will not always be the case, but she has been a really great mentor to me in the last year. And as I mentioned, I think last week, she's also recovering from burnout right now. And she's doing a really great video series about burnout recovery on her quick cast on YouTube. And just before I started planning today's podcast, um, I listened to one she just put out called, why is this not over yet? And it's episode 4.02 of her quick cast. And I'll put the uh, link in the show notes. Um, basically, it was about this idea about when you're in burnout recovery and you're starting to feel better, but then you you do have like those, those backsliding moments where where you've pushed it too far and you just need to be a little more careful. And that, that's basically where I am. Um, I was, I've just been pushing too hard the last couple of weeks because I had all this energy back and I was feeling great. And now I'm paying for it. So um, this week, since I kind of figured that out, that that's what was probably going on, I've been conscientiously just easing back a little bit on my schedule. And not really, but like I've been, I guess, more mentally aware of it. Um, This week, because of deadlines, I haven't had much option to, to ease back. But I guess even just naming that feeling of why do I feel like crap today um you know like why just naming that was helpful to me and then it helped me to 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 kind of go okay well I need to be more careful and so I'm planning to just spend a lot of time this weekend just flaking out and refilling that well doing a lot of inputting of creative stuff and taking some time to to purposely recover and I think that will help and then going forward into next week, because I'll be past a major deadline I'm working on, um, I'm going to be even a little more conscientious about that and making sure that I'm not working quite such long days. And I'd like to say sometimes I really love my high discipline and responsibility strengths um, that keep me in the chair, keep me going forward, making sure that I hit those deadlines on time, that kind of thing. And sometimes I wish they would just chill out. You know what I'm saying? Hmm? All right, so my writing update this week. Um, I had a lot of progress in the writing department this week, actually. I booked an editor for a developmental manuscript assessment for Every Star That Shines, which is the first book I'm writing in my sweet small town romance series. And um, I had debated the need to get a developmental assessment on it. I really wanted to. But I'm going to be honest that I invested so much money into publishing uh, The Sphinx's Heart and in some of the republishing of things that I'm going to talk about later in this episode 
over the last couple of years. And then also with how much I had to cut back on my work last year due to burnout, um, that this year and with this series, I am pretty much bootstrapping it is what I'm doing. I'm making the covers myself and I had debated like, do I really need to get a developmental assessment? Because I know that the story is good. I'm actually not worried about, about it that way. But I really, really love that process of collaboration with um, an editor, getting their feedback and getting those professional eyes looking at it and saying, hey, I think you forgot about this or you missed this. And there's always stuff. Um, <laughs> and so I, I debated just getting feedback from some of my trusted beta readers who are awesome. I love them. Um, but they're just not the same. And I don't uh, you know, sometimes their schedule doesn't really align as well. So in the end, I, I prayed about it and I felt like, yes, I think I, I will hire someone. And then I prayed about who to hire and I decided to hire my friend Jennifer Lindsay. Um, I've never worked with her before. She's an editor I've just gotten to know over the last year. And um, I, but I am really excited about it because I know that we get along already. I already trust her opinions and... I think that this is going to be a good fit for the series. So I'm very excited about that. Um, of course, I do need to finish the book before I can send it to her. And so as part of hiring her uh, on Monday, I spent the morning planning and, and doing my writing math, I call it, to see when I could actually make sure that I had it finished by so that when I told her a date, that I knew that I could have it to her by that date because... Um, it's really frustrating as an editor when people move. And that's the reason why a lot of editors have non-refundable deposits on that booking schedule. Even if most of us are, you know, we don't like enforcing it, but we will if we have to kind of thing. Um, yeah, so I want, but I, I mean, I just, I've been on the receiving end of that and I didn't want to do that to her. So, I mean, that's just who I am. I hate, I hate missing deadlines. So my I did the math and after crunching all the numbers, but like using actual numbers, cause I've done the wishful thinking plan before and that hasn't worked. So using the actual numbers, um, I plan to have the first draft finished by February 25th. Then I'll revise it over the next two weeks and then I'll send it to Jen on March 14th. So that's only two weeks later than I'd originally scheduled. Well, I don't know. I might've moved it a little bit from more than just two weeks from my original, original schedule, but actually it's still pretty close because I think I was originally planning to maybe have it done by the middle or by the end of January. Um, but that was kind of like my, this is my ideal goal kind of thing when I first started planning out the series. And then for the last month or and a half or so, I'd been planning to finish it by uh, middle of February and then having it to an editor by the end of February. So really this is only a two week shift from that. So I'm actually feeling pretty good about that, um, that it's only been shifted by two weeks. And um, this goal still, even though I've, I've had to shift that, it still allows me to publish this book in August to my website. And then I'm planning to publish it to all platforms in September. And then by then I'm going to be actually pretty far along in the process of the next book, which I'm planning to publish in November because it's a Christmas book. So 
I'm, I'm pretty sure I can do this as of today when I finished my writing session. I'm just starting into the midpoint climax and I'm sitting at about 31,000 words of a manuscript that I anticipate will be about 70,000 words overall. So uh, this is very achievable for, achievable for me. Okay, so I want to talk about doing this writing math because I know when I first started out and I'd hear about writers doing writing math, I would I was completely flabbergasted by this because I'm like, how how can you get just calculate how long a chapter will be, how long a scene will be, how long it will take you to write anything? And I never used to be a data or a numbers person. As I've said before, I I look at numbers as the creativity killer, but only in certain contexts, okay? I have to qualify that now. I really, really don't enjoy, I don't enjoy doing bookkeeping, but I do really enjoy looking at the numbers to figure out if I can accomplish my goals, if I can meet my deadlines, um, because I hate missing deadlines and um, not meeting my responsibilities a lot more than I hate doing <laughs> numbers. So uh, I think what I've learned over the years too is that things are intimidating until you learn to do them, until you, until you gain that skill and it's no longer something that scares you. Um, it can still be a bit of a drag, like, like I still don't enjoy counting, except for that I, you know, I put on my tunes, my awesome playlist, and I, I do that, and then I, I make accounting fun that way. But, um, you know, it's still not my favorite activity of the week. <laughs> but I, you know, it's not, it's not intimidating to me. So, um, just like I used to look at writers talk about writing math and being intimidated, uh, and I don't anymore. I am going to share with you the process that I, I used to figure this out today for my writing schedule, so that you too can know how to do this. So the first important thing when you're wanting to do writing math is you actually have to collect some data. Okay, so in order to do that, you're probably gonna have to make a spreadsheet or use some kind of timer system or some apps will have ways to track this, but you basically have to figure out how fast you write. And the other reason to do this is if you want to improve, if you want to become faster and more efficient at what you do, you won't know if that's happening unless you've actually tracked how fast you've gone before. And like, I think this, the phrase is what can be tracked can be improved. And believe it or not, I mean, the number of words you write per hour is just a number and yes, you can track it. So I have been tracking my uh, output and my writing speed on pretty much everything for the last several years. I have a lot of good data. Now I don't always track it anymore. Like for instance, I don't actually track my blog post writing time anymore. I used to for a while just to, to figure it out. But that to me doesn't matter so much because a blog post or a podcast episode, if I'm just writing because I write out my notes first, I mean... I know it takes me about about the amount of time it takes me and then I'm done and then I can move on. But I do want to know, like I did want to know roughly like what's the difference between when I'm writing a nonfiction post like that versus my fiction. And it's about double, double. I can go about twice as fast while I'm writing a blog post as when I'm writing a fiction chapter, for instance. But I would never have known that if I'd never tracked it. So now, as I mentioned in previous episodes, I do track these numbers for fiction still, um, partly as a measure of progress because I'm always kind of figuring out where I am in the manuscript. Like today when I'm saying I'm, I'm at 31,000 words of a 70,000 word manuscript and I'm going into the midpoint climax, I know that my pacing is pretty good. Like 
because that's exactly where I should be sitting going into the midpoint climax of a 70,000 word novel. Okay, so this is important information that you can use to figure out if you're doing a good job, basically. <laughs> it's one of the ways you can figure that out. Okay, it's not the only thing. And the other thing for me, as I kind of mentioned, like with the responsibility thing go coming into this week, I was feeling a little bit stressed out about my writing deadline because I haven't been hitting my daily write, writing goals for the last, the first two weeks of January. I mean, that's not the first two weeks of January, but I didn't start back into the office until January 10. So for the two weeks that I'd already been in the office, I really hadn't been hitting my writing goals and I was worried that I was going to be missing my deadline again and I'm stressed out and, and I'd rather just know. So here's what I did. I looked at my hourly average writing speed on this project so far. And I was about 23,000 words in when I started this math on Monday. So I had some pretty good data to look at. I also know that for the last several years, like basically my writing speed for fiction, including all the waffling time or whatever, like when I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm working on the project, even if I'm not physically putting words into the manuscript at that point, but I'm counting it as writing time because I'm sitting there thinking about it and I'm on the clock. Um, so I count all that in there because it's part of my process and research. Sometimes I go on research rabbit holes because I need to, to write a scene and that's still on the clock. So it's still part of my process. So my average writing time for several years has been about seven to 750 words per hour. And when I did the math for this, I mean, I felt like I've been writing slower and it was a little because it came to 693 words per hour. <laughs> so actually, it was pretty much right in my ballpark. Um, and so that's good to know because our feelings can deceive us. I mean, I felt like I was writing a lot slower than seven words per hour slower. Do you know what I'm saying? So just even seeing those numbers made me go, oh, actually, I'm doing okay. Even though I feel like I'm going slower, it's actually not that bad. So then I looked at, I looked at my schedule. Um, and in my week, I plan to spend Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday mornings writing. I have, uh, four hour blocks in there that I spend writing. And I just want to remind you that, um, I don't consider writing my day job yet, even though I do that in the morning, it's still not paying for itself. So in case you're under any illusions that you're coming to this podcast and listening to an author who has made it. I have not made it as an author, okay? I'm still very much in process, which is why I'm hoping that this is relatable to you. Um, so I've got these four, four hour writing blocks and 16 hours set of time aside for writing every week is a lot, okay? So if you're somebody who has a full-time day job, that's probably not gonna be achievable for you and that's fine. It's it, it. This is not a comparisonitis thing. I just want you to know what I'm working with. I consider my editing my day job. That's what earns me the income to allow me to continue to write. But I actually do it in the evenings, which is when my energy is highest. I know it's really ironic. Uh, so I have these 16 hours a week set aside for writing. And then I, because there's task switching, there's bathroom breaks, there's that kind of stuff in there. There's getting up late and not getting started on time. There's like fuzzy morning brain cause I'm not a morning person. So all that stuff to deal with. Um, I figured that I probably actually, but you know, because I track things, I know 
how much of that four hour block I actually spend writing. Um, it's usually about three and a half hours of writing actually in a four hour block. So that's pretty good actually. That gives me 14 hours per week. So I know my writing speed. I know how many hours per week I, I actually spend writing. And so then it's just math, okay? So I did the multiplication, came out to about 10,000 words per week that I could write. And then figured out, well, I've got a 70,000 word novel. I figured, and I'm sorry to say, but knowing how many words go into one of your chapters or scenes and how many of those it takes to make a whole novel or, or to figure out how long your work is gonna be, that just comes with practice and experience. There's really no other way to figure that out because everybody writes their, their scenes and their chapters a little differently. Um, and also even within, you know, different projects are going to have different lengths and different lengths of chapters, etc. So while you can kind of make some guesses until you know yourself, this is something you're probably not going to have as much success with. I do happen to have a pretty good idea about, you know, how long this book is going to be because I know about how long my chapters were going to be. I knew how many of those chapters would be in the book. And so that was simple math to figure that out too. I figured that the end result would be between 65,000 and 75,000 words. Um, I do tend to write long. So, you know, right now I'm thinking it's going to be 70,000, but might go up to 75. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to be pretty close on this one. However, sometime I might tell you how many times I underguessed how long Sphinx's heart would be. <laughs> That's a different story. Anyway, so I came up with the 10,000 words per week. I knew I had roughly about 50,000 words left. So that was just adding five weeks. And that was how long my first draft was going to take until I was done. So that that's the math. Now, as I said, I was a little stressed because I hadn't really hit that 10,000 words a week in my first two weeks back in the office. I wasn't even close. And because, but you know, I was getting oriented on other projects and things. And I had some other work that I was trying to get out of the way. So I wasn't really getting 14 hours of writing in those weeks either. However, I was stressed about this 10,000 words a week until I realized that spreading over my four writing days in a week, that's only 2,500 words a day. And spread over three and a half hours of writing per day, that came to 714 words and change per hour. So right in that 700 words per hour, ballpark and it's like I don't know even though I'd done the math going up from that in the first place going backwards and figuring that out made me go oh well that's uh, that's how fast I write I can do that and so <laughs> I was able to relax I mean our brains are just weird okay <laughs> my brain is just weird anyways but after that I was like oh 10,000 words not so bad and then um you know as it turns out as of Today, I'm at 8,300 words for this week, and I have still tomorrow morning's writing to do, so I'm going to very easily be able to hit it for this week, and I'm excited about just continuing to, to hit those goals going forward. Now, for some writers, I know all this math would probably freak them out, but I'm more freaked out about the idea of committing to something that will affect others and later finding out that I overpromised, and I'll have to either basically kill myself to accomplish that or back, back out, which I hate doing. Um, that's that number four responsibility again for my strengths. Uh, so yeah, I doing all this math just actually helped chill me out. So that was good. However, conversely, uh, setting that hard deadline for myself by booking that editor, actually, 
actually, I think, contributed to the bit of stress that I've had this week. And it's this is just a mental thing because um, last year was so hard. And I think right now I'm just a little freaked out about my own ability to hit deadlines because last year I missed so many and had to reset so many. And I just, I just really don't want to do that ever again, if I can help it. I mean, I know what's going to happen, but for, I went from somebody who could hit every deadline to not hitting deadlines over and over and over again. And now my brain is just, I think a little traumatized by that. So um, I'm hoping that this will be a bit of a mental reset for me on that to prove to myself that yes, actually I can hit deadlines still now that I'm coming out of burnout and I'm able to be a more accurate judge of my abilities again, because they're being more consistent again, that that story doesn't need to be my story anymore. I don't need to be that person who misses deadlines all the time now. So we'll see how that ends up. I'm sure you'll get to uh, hear how it goes as I go along. <laughs> okay, so last week I did t talk a little bit about how I thought I might try increasing my productivity with writing by writing longer in a day instead of breaking it out over those four days a week um, to have like one day that's kind of like almost all writing and another day that I kind of shuffle more of my editing into. And I didn't actually think coming into this week that I was going to be able to test that because the right, the editing project I'm working on, um, just, there's been some adjustments with that and I was actually going to have to do quite a bit of it this week, which I'm still working on. I still am doing quite a bit of it. Uh, not quite done yet, but we're getting very close. The deadline is this weekend and I'm going to hit that. Yay. Thankfully I have hit most of my editing deadlines in the last year. It's my writing deadlines, my personal ones that I kept, I kept missing, which was really difficult. Anyway, um, so as I said, I didn't think I was gonna actually going to be able to test this, but then yesterday when I got to the end of my morning writing session, I had really gotten quite a few words on the page and I was just like in the flow. Sometimes you really get that feeling where it's like, I just, I still have more ideas. I know where I want to go next. I'm very excited about this. So I went and had my lunch and then I came back and I just kept going. And by the end of the day, I had written 5,400 words and it was fantastic. But not only that, because I'm tracking, I could see how during the course of the day, my writing rate per hour did go up. It went up a lot. I think I went from like somewhere in the 900 words per hour range, uh, first thing in the morning when I typically start off by revising previous work or rereading previous work to get me into the, the groove of things. And then my next block was in the thousand words per hour range. And then the next one was like 1300 words per hour. So like, that's a significant jump. And then even my very last block of the day, I actually had written two chapters. So I went back and I read through those and revised them again, because I realized that I'd kind of gone in the wrong emotional direction. And I was trying to figure out like, oh, how did I end up there? And <laughs> trying to figure out how to fix it. And um, also because when I revise, I tend to fix and fill in details. And um, I edit a lot as I go. And then I don't have much editing to do at the end is usually how it goes. So um, I ended about another 744 words in that in that section. And yeah, it was like, it was still in the over the 700 words per hour range, even though I was actually just editing. So I was like, okay, well, 
That is some interesting data. So next week, I actually have, on, on Wednesday, I have planned to do three writing blocks again. Like I'll be, I'll be editing, sorry, writing for most of my day again until supper. And then other than some admin and email and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then I think that will be a good test to see if, if I can repeat the results. And if so... I'm going to actually rework my schedule to make it so that that happens more often. Sorry for whatever that was back there. So this is why data is important, folks. I wish I could do that every day, do the writing for six hours. It ended up being like five hours of 20 and 20 minutes of actual writing. And I ended up with, where did I, like 5,500 words almost. So yeah, my words per hour rate for the whole day still came in at, it was higher than average. It was at 778 words for yesterday. So that's pretty good. And then I was kind of all wrung out creatively and I still edited last night. So I would have had to change activities even if I hadn't been planning to edit in the evenings. I was kind of just done with that. But wish I could do that every day, but I can't. All right. Speaking of reworking things, which I was because I talk about how I <laughs> rework things in my editing as I go. Um, so while I was redoing all that rejigging in my schedule this week, I had to like admit to myself that this podcast is literally going to take my entire Thursday afternoon and evening. And that's just the way it is. Originally I'd planned to do like editing on Thursday evenings as well. Cause I thought, well, I can, I can do the podcast in three hours on a Thursday afternoon. No problem. Yeah. I was wrong. Um, part of that is actually just my really, really, bad internet because simply uploading it takes a lot of time um especially to youtube i don't know why that one's so slow i can upload it to like just the audio really fast actually it's the uploading to youtube that takes forever and i'm trying to figure out if there's settings i can use that will make that easier and less painful but haven't found them yet so anyway um but even without that it, it, it still would have taken some more time than I originally planned. So, and then the other thing I've discovered is that when I'm done, I am just, I'm literally so done. Like I'm just drained emotionally, mentally, creatively, whatever. So even if I do finish a little earlier, like I did last week, um, <laughs> I just wasn't good for anything after that. So I reject my schedule so that I could accomplish my editing at other times. And basically when I'm done my podcast on Thursdays, I'm done. And I'm very, very much looking forward to the Starlink that will someday be coming. Someday. No idea when. That will help a lot, though. Anyways, as I've kind of hinted already, my low for the week is that I had some pretty emotionally low and low energy starts to my day earlier this week. Um, I usually felt okay by late afternoon, but I kind of keep track of a little bit just my mood and and energy levels every morning I just kind of make a quick note in my in my journal um and that's something I started doing basically when the pandemic started and I started journaling daily I it was just kind of like an emotional barometer I guess and I was trying to figure out some things related to um like the peri perimenopause stuff and I was talking about and I did figure out some things, so that's been helpful. But uh, this time it had it wasn't hormonally, hormonally related. And so, yeah, that's what gave me the clue that maybe I was pushing myself too hard 
and that I needed to be careful that I wasn't going to push myself back into burnout. And then kind of also that realization made, reminded me to focus a little bit more on that 80%, sorry, on the 20%. I wrote 80% in my notes, but what I should have said is 20% of the work that produces 80% of the results, which is why I've been spending more of my time this week kind of dialing back and focusing more on my writing and my editing and worrying less about some of the other things that were taking up my time in the first two weeks of the month back at work. Also, I've been spending a lot of time on the weekends working on my hobby business, which is my knitting pattern business. And I think probably that's contributed because it still felt like work because I was doing too much of it. So I'm going to be um, taking some time off of that this weekend and just chilling and remembering that that is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be a hobby, even though I have some goals for it. Um, it's not something that can I can spend too much time on or I'm going to wear myself out. Okay, so on to news this week. Um, I was on a, was part of a roundtable discussion uh, that Mark Leslie Lefebvre hosted for his Stark Reflections podcast um, a couple of weeks ago, I think now. And it was a great discussion. Uh, I think pretty much everyone there was a writer and some of us were editors. Like I wasn't the only editor there. And um, one of the participants was actually... Um, she's teaching a course about publishing in a university out in Toronto, I think. Uh, I'm sorry, Kathy, if you're listening and I got that wrong. But anyway, um, she had asked a question about uh, ideas, things that she should absolutely be telling her students about the publishing process. And that actually sparked a conversation for the entire hour of our discussion. It was really, really great. And so um, if it's like a it's like a great reminder if you're more experienced, but especially if you're less experienced as a writer, go over there, listen to that. Um, it it's a great primer kind of for what you need to know about publishing, whether you're indie, indie published or traditionally published. Going in, like this is the this is the stuff that you're gonna need to know that maybe nobody told us when we started, um, and that we wish we we would have known. And so that's over at starkreflections.ca, and I will put a link to the exact episode, which is 231, in the show notes. Also this week, I had a chat with Joshua Pantelaresco for his Just Joshing podcast and Twitch stream, but man, my internet, my internet sucked bananas that day. And so it was a terribly chopped up conversation, and then eventually my internet just died. So I really hope he doesn't air that on his YouTube channel and podcast. I don't really know if he's going to. I'm not sure he could. <laughs> it was pretty bad. But we will try again um, once I get my technical issues resolved. Okay, so I just want to wrap up. Well, it's, I'm going to probably talk about this for the next 10 minutes or so. But to finish up the podcast, I just want to talk about a discussion that's been kind of going around indie circles in the last week or two. And it's about revisiting old work. Because uh, Joanna Penn of The Creative Pen announced a couple weeks ago that she is revising the first three books of her arcane thriller series uh, that she wrote, I don't know, like a decade ago. And the idea is to, to bring them up to the level of her current writing and the rest of the series and to even revise like she's revising the story somewhat, I think, but she's she's definitely revising like the characters and 
like it sounded like a fairly major revision not like a complete rewrite but a fairly major revision and the goal is to improve series read through because of course if you're not keeping readers on the first books of your series they're not going to go through and read the stuff you wrote later when you were a better writer so there's been some discussion in author circles about whether doing this kind of thing is worth it and i really liked claire taylor's response on the selmore book show um, that she was looking at it basically as a cost-benefit analysis by asking the question, how much do I stand to gain and how much is it going to hurt to do this? And I think that's an excellent way to look at it because basically you need to make decision about, decisions about your business based on what you know about yourself and your process, as well as what you see happening with your numbers, which again is why it's so important to track things like numbers. But after learning more about the craft and the genre and the business and marketing side of writing, um, basically just becoming a better authorpreneur, I actually opted to recover all of my books in 2020 and in 2021. Now, because I haven't been terribly prolific so far, mostly because I've been writing these really honking long, long novels, so I haven't published tons and tons. So that wasn't like, you know, it's not like I was going to redo 24 books or anything like that. It was a handful of books. But um, that's also partly why I thought it was worth it. And I'll get more into that in a minute. I also heavily revised my first novella that I'd written um, when I was first learning to be a writer and learning the process of self-publishing. It was basically my practice novella that I did. And um, I took it from, I think, like 24,000 words and I made it up to, it, it went up to 27,000 words. And then I redid the covers of, on that, of course, and uh, I just fixed some things that I wish that I had originally had in there. Now, it still didn't maybe come up to the same complexity and level of work that I would probably have made it into if I was writing it from scratch, but it got it to the place where I was proud of it. And I, I was always fairly proud of it, but I knew when I would go back and relook at it, I'm like, oh gosh, like just really basic mistakes that I would was flagging all over the place. My editor brain was like, oh goodness, I can't believe this is out there with my name on it. So because I felt that way, I decided it was worth the revision. And I'm really glad I did it. Um, I also then made it perma-free when I republished it. And that was an experiment. I'd never done a perma-free book anywhere before. And because it's a standalone, it's not really leading anywhere, but... Um, I do have a longer romantic women's fiction that is similar enough that I hoped I would see read through from that novel to the longer one. And I have, um, even though it hasn't been a super high rate of people reading the one to the other, cause they are different enough. Like the, the free one is like clean and inspirational and sweet. And the other one's like not clean, <laughs> but it's not steamy. It's just that it's gritty it's um it's dealing with topics like abuse and uh other things like that and and there are some there's a lot of violence in it i guess is is the way to to describe the difference between the two even the story though the story itself is still inspirational there is a lot of violence in there and uh some of it is sexual violence so because of that uh, i didn't know if i'd see much read through but i have so uh but once i uh start revving up my 
current series, which is the Peace Country Romances, which is going to be clean. It's going to be sweet romance. It's going to be inspirational. It's going to be a lot more similar to that perma-free book. I am expecting to see uh, more read-through coming into this series with that, actually. And in the meantime, it's accumulated hundreds of reviews and ratings. And I'd say it's some pretty cheap advertising. I am not sad I did that at all. However, that's not the only book that I've revised. I also revised the first book of my Rise of the Grigori series, the young adult epic historical fantasy series that I've been working on for the last several years. And the first book is called The Undine's Tear. And I published it in 2019 and I revised it in 2020. And part of that was because of some of the things that were happening in society and culture at the time. I went and I'm like, you know what? I really want to get a sensitivity read on this. Um, partly because there were a few things in there that I just, I wanted to know from, like, I should have probably done it originally, but I, I didn't, I didn't. I'm just gonna leave it at that. I just didn't get it done before I published it the first time. But this is the beauty of being indie is you can go ahead and do this later and re and revise and put it out. And honestly, even though I'd had pretty good sales on that book, um, considering the type of marketing I was doing, really, I hadn't sold that many copies. If you look at the grand scheme of things, I'm like, most of the readers who are going to come into the series have not discovered it yet. And so it still felt like it was a good time to do that, that most people wouldn't have been too attached to what was there before. So I got the sensitivity read and I'll explain the reasons why for that in a minute. But, um, in the revision also, because I just, I write a little cleaner. It was, I mean, it had been already a year and even in that year, since I'd published, actually it was a year and a half, closer to two years, I guess, by the time you count in all the stuff going up into a, into publishing a book. Um, I, I wrote cleaner and you know, I just going through and taking out some really common crutch words. I actually got rid of a thousand words off the word count. So that's crazy, right? Crutch words, they make a difference. Anyway, um, so yes, the reasons for getting the sensitivity read. I write a lot of characters of colors, color in all colors, all the colors, you guys. <laughs> I write a lot of characters of color in all of my stories, but that particular book was a concern to me because of the topics. So the, the series, I mean, it's a young adult series, but it d deals with issues of gender equality, racial equality, um, a lot of stuff like that. Um, and it's set in 1799 and the Atlantic slave trade figures into the story. Okay. Uh, the heroine's love interest is a black man and, uh, the Sphinx of the, of the title of the second book, the Sphinx's heart, uh, is actually a spirit who presents as a black woman. So I wanted to, to see if there were things I hadn't really thought of when I was writing it that my, my other readers hadn't caught, um, that no one had been brave enough to tell me maybe. I don't know <laughs> if I'm paying someone to read it and tell me the problems with it. I expect them to do so. And I didn't know if, if maybe there were problems that just no one had said anything about. So... As I said, it hadn't had that many readers overall, and I hadn't had a ton of reviews. So in the end, after getting that beta read, or the, it's kind of a beta read. After I got the comments back from my sensitivity reader, there weren't actually all that many. Um, 
which was reassuring to me that um, generally I was doing okay. Uh, but there were some things I hadn't thought of, so I'm, I'm glad that I'd done that. Um, there were a few things that I just didn't expect. It hadn't occurred to me that it might be a concern, and it was just, just kind of like how a scene was worded or written out that would be inflammatory, even though it wasn't intended to be. I was like, oh, well, we definitely want to change that. And just, just simply changing the wording of how something was said fixed the issue. So those were the easy ones. Um, but there were some things that I thought would be a concern too that weren't even mentioned. And I found that to be the case when I got the sensitivity read for the Sphinx's heart as well, that there were things I was concerned about that never even came up. And I was just like, oh, okay, good. Um, but then there were some things that I'd put in there, in both books, that I'd actually put in there to be intentionally inflammatory because of the type of character that was saying or doing them. Like in the first book, the Undine's Tear, there is a terribly racist character, which you are supposed to hate. You're supposed to, you know, like if you don't hate him, I'm not sure what kind of a human being you are. Um, and there were things that he said that were flagged as inflammatory. And I was like, um, yes, <laughs> that's how it's supposed to be. But that being said, I still looked at, you know, those comments and, and weighed them carefully in my spirit because basically I was like, these were the things that I, this is the reason I hired a sensitivity reader for one thing. So I mean, like, if you're not going to listen to the person you hire, then why are you doing this? But the other thing that I just thought of is like, you know, there are certain words I grew up with that are triggering to me. And how do I feel when I read them in a book? Even if the situation in the book is intense and calls for it, how do I feel about that? And it doesn't leave me with a great feeling. However, there aren't like a lot of words like that. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm going to just be honest that I, I have a pretty blessed life now. And so it's not like I'm constantly in situations where people are abusing me. Thank God. But I've been in situations where people have used words to hurt me and they have done so very effectively. And those are the kinds of words I don't like to see in books now. And I'm like, you know what? I want my readers of color not to read my books and be traumatized. You know what I'm saying? Like I wanted them to have a pleasant reading experience, even though the situations in the book were very difficult to read and, or they can be, I mean, there's not that many of them, but there's, there's some. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm taking those words out. I toned them down as much as I could while still making that character very hateable and also staying as true as I could to the time period. Um, but I, I was like, well, how true to the time period do I really want to be? Like, what's, what's my end goal here? And the end goal is for my readers to enjoy a story. And that mattered more to me. So I changed some of those words. And I'm glad I did. And I think it was successful. Now, to be honest, I hadn't had any complaints about them before in the previous version. But again, there hadn't been that many readers who had left reviews. Um... But I've had a lot more reviews since and no one has mentioned those things or found any of those that they found offensive. So I think I did okay. Um, at any rate, I feel a lot better having that book out there now, knowing that I've done what I could do to make it a pleasant reading experience for all of my readers. And in the spirit of revisiting 
things and whether it's worth it to revise. Uh, the project that I'm working on for my knitting business right now is actually revising all of my old knitting patterns. And my current focus is to make them accessible for low vision knitters. Um, so that's kind of, it's going to be a project that takes a while because I have over 20 designs. Um, and I have a lot more designs that I have yet to publish. <laughs> I've only just, like, I've got over 20 designs published, but I've been pretty slow on the publishing of knitting patterns for the last few years. Even though I've still been creating them, I just haven't been publishing them. So I do have a lot of work to do in that area. Uh, but for my older patterns, as I'm going through and doing this, I'm also revising the wording and making them clearer to understand and that kind of thing is too. And I believe it's worth it because I started publishing knitting patterns in 2010. Those patterns still sell. They're still bringing me income and there's still new, new knitters discovering me every day from those old patterns. So even though I know that that pattern is 10 years old and representative of my skill 10 years ago, they don't know that. And so if it's not that good, they're not going to go on and buy something else. Whereas if I bring it up to the standard, of what I can produce now, then they're much more likely to go find some of my other work and continue to support me as a creative, which is exactly the same attitude I would have about books. So it's just a way of serving your customers better. So for me, are the rewards of revising old work worth the gains? Yes, absolutely. They will go along with my, um, my goals. Now that's not to say that everything is worth revising. I actually have some older knitting patterns that I'm probably actually just going to take down rather than spend the time to revise them because they don't sell. Now there is a slight difference uh, with the way people buy knitting patterns online versus books because most knitting sites don't have built-in review apps. So that means that knitters are actually basing their choices for the most part on um, either word of mouth advertising from a friend or, uh, or somebody else within a knitting community online, or they're just simply basing their choice based on the pattern images and design itself, as well as the description. And based on those things, I've got patterns that just do not sell. Is it worth it to revise those? I don't think so. It's not that the design, it's not that the, pat the images and the description are bad. It just doesn't have a wide appeal. So I'll probably just take those down. So you got to decide that for each case basically and decide what the cost is versus the reward for you. Um, my goal is to always be giving my readers or my knitting clients or my editing clients, basically anyone I serve the most excellent work I am capable of at any given time because I don't work produce work quickly enough to just count on new work to generate interest and income. Revising that older work is a way to ensure the that I have customer retention and loyalty to my brand. But that's not the case for everyone. So now I want to know, how about you? Do you, have you ever gone and revised your older work or would you consider it? And if so, why? And if not, why? I'd love to hear your response. You can leave a comment on this episode, which you can get to at talinawinters.com slash podcast episode five, or you can tweet me at Talena Winters, T-A-L-E-N-A-W-I-N-T-E-R-S. And I'm going to wrap this up with a little fun story to go with my mug quote of the week. I was looking for a good quote that would kind of bring all these ideas together. And I ended up on this one about excellence. And the, 
short version that I would put on a mug is excellence is a habit attributed to Will Durant. And I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Durant? Durant? Anyways. But while I was looking up the quotes, I came across this fun story about that particular quote. So that's a shorter version of the full quote, which is, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. And the first place I found the quote, it was attributed to Aristotle. And I'm like, that doesn't sound something that was like something that was translated from Greek. And so because I know that quotes are often misattributed, I went and I did a little more research. And indeed, this quote has been misattributed for almost 100 years because it was written by Will Durant. And he was summarizing the, something that Aristotle said, but Aristotle never, ever said this exact thing. So um, speaking of revisiting old work, sometimes you need to uh, look at things that you thought were true, but actually aren't and change your opinions based on that. And for the fun story behind the story on that quote, um, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to Kaylin Huntress's article about this on Medium. And also, I think Kaylin Huntress, I don't know if I'm saying it right either. It looks like it might be Ceylon. I don't know. It, it looks like it's probably Irish. But, uh, or Ceylon? Ceylon? I don't know. Anyway, it's a cool name either way. <laughs> no matter how it's said, it just looks cool. Um, so yeah, that is my week, my thoughts for the week. I hope that uh, you have a great writing week. And we will talk to you again next week. Bye. Coffee and Real Talk for Writers has been produced by Talina Winters. You can find episode show notes, leave a comment, subscribe, or if you're feeling generous, buy me a coffee at talinawinters.com slash podcast. And be sure to leave a review on the podcatcher of your choice. Tell your friends to come by too. The kettle's always on. So until next time, I hope you keep writing and keep it real. Thanks for listening. Bye.